Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. So we set up all our equipment, you know, mic'd it all up, and then she comes out to play, and she's singing, and, and she walks off the stage and falls about 15 feet into the orchestra pit. Oh. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show on the Rock School Radio Network, broadcasting Southeastern Louisiana University. Now, this is the last by absolutely no means least of our Summer Series 2017 interviews. I know we've had six, but I got to tell you, a lot of interesting people. And to wrap it up today, I have one more person who will just knock you out of your seat. Glenn Abair. I, I learned of him through his son, who I go to the gym with. And out of the blue one day, his son says to me, you know, my father worked with uh, Bob Marley. You think you might want to talk to him? Okay, let's bring him in. And it turns out Glenn Hebert is a wealth of stories of the people who came through Miami in the 1970s because he worked with a company that offered a practice studio, a rental music studio, a studio that would take whatever you needed to whatever venue you needed. And he was in the midst of it in the 1970s in Miami. So for an hour today... Let's talk to Glenn Bear, the guy next door that you had no idea had such a wonderful, rich history. We'll talk to him today on Rock School. I'm sitting with Glenn Bear here in my home studio. I can't remember the last time I had an interview come over to my home studio. Glenn, thanks for coming up. Oh, you're welcome. Wonderful. Glenn, I heard about what you did in the 70s from your son. I'm a, I'm a friend of your son, and he told me that... You had some get-togethers with, uh, with some famous musicians and had a wonderful job. The thing is, Glenn, I have no idea what to even call what you did. What did you do in the 70s? Well, um, it, it really started with, you know, I was in, into guitar and playing guitar, and I worked for a company called Calvar. They were a micro, mm-hmm. microfilm company at the time. And my cousin, who uh, lived on the West Coast, uh, you know, had a lot of contacts with musicians and bands, and he uh, he noticed that there was a company there called uh, um, it was I'm trying to remember the name. It was a it was an inst- uh, instrument rentals, mm-hmm. uh, and they were st- instrument studio rentals. But they they uh, you know they did everything. They did instruments. They did they did rehearsal studios. They did cartage service. Um, what with cartage that means it'll take it from here to there. Yeah, you know, yeah. pick up their equipment at the airport, take it to a venue to play or right. whatever. So they did all kinds of stuff. And uh, he, at the time, he was looking at a place in Miami to live, and he said, you know, that there really isn't anything exactly like that in Miami. Mm-hmm. So he got with some backers about building a building a couple of studios and 
in buying equipment and, and setting up there a company called Musician Studio Rentals, which I became part of. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knew I was into music pretty good and had, had, you know, did a lot of things with equipment at times. And he said, you know, why don't you come work with me? Now, these weren't yeah. recording studios, were they? No, they were rehearsal studios. I mean, they had, you could record in them, but they, they right. weren't really set up. Uh, you could record. I mean, they were they were pretty much soundproof, and you know they had we had mixing boards and everything in them, but they weren't really set up with you know all the recording equipment. So if somebody wanted to just find a space and get themselves ready for a tour, right, they would come in and they just buy this big open space from you. Yeah, it, it, the the studio time would be a lot cheaper going into a rehearsal studio and practicing and getting your band ready to go yeah. and then head out for the road. And that's kind of what we, we saw a lot of uh, bands come in and doing that. And then the ones that, the ones that had money didn't come to a rehearsal studio. They just, they'd buy the time right in the, uh, in the uh, recording studio. Children crying, hear the children crying, saying, Give thanks and praise to the Lord, and I will feel all right. Saying, Let's get together and feel all right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, you were real close to Criteria Studios. We were two blocks from Criteria. Were you really? 19, we were in Northeast 151st Street. In Miami. In, my, in North Miami. Yeah. And Criteria was at 149th Street, Northeast 149th. Now, if, if you who are listening do not know Criteria Studios, I don't want to take away time from Glenn, but it was in the 70s and through the 80s, one of the major recording studios think of someone who had a hit in the 70 or 80 70s or 80s chances are they did something through criteria so i mean how did you you didn't go to criteria well how'd you serve it i was in and out of criteria a lot because they would rent instruments from us Mm -hmm. like like the les paul or or you know whatever instrument they wanted at the time, and I'd go over there and bring it and hang out over there sometimes. Uh-huh. Particularly with the Eagles, the Eagles would they would they rehearse there, record there. They worked on uh, Hotel California there, and also in uh, some so they did some down in Coconut Grove, another studio, and then they also did stuff on the West Coast. Now so, hold on, you don't get to drop that and walk away. You worked with the Eagles and rented them instruments. Yes. Who, I mean, who was it? Um, Glenn Fry? Who did you rent instruments well, to? Well, we, we, uh, the Eagles were staying at this place in Miami called Home at Last. Uh-huh. It was kind of set up for really big bands to have a place that they could go to that would be, really feel like home. And it was run by a, uh, a bunch of ladies who would really just take care of a band. And, you know, food. So like a bed and breakfast gi- type oh, thing? Oh, no, it was much bigger. Oh, Gigantic really? kitchen. You know, two or three story, uh, you know, really nice place on the water. And uh, they rented a piano from us. You know, I met Glenn Fry. Uh-huh. And uh, matter of fact, he was 
wanted to take my T-shirt. One of the other guys gave him one of our T-shirts from Musician <laughs> Studio Rentals. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, we we work with them. Whenever they ask for equipment, we run out there. Bill Simzik, who was the guy who produced that album, <clears throat> Hotel California, you know, he kind of uh, communicated with my cousin quite a bit. And uh, matter of fact, they called me out one night to fix a Leslie speaker that Joe Walsh was playing in playing on down in coconut grove and Mm -hmm. so i went down there and worked on it in uh so it was that kind of thing you know i was i was in work mode a lot you know right but but you were you saw these musicians now we're Mm going to talk about other people sure we haven't gotten to the one i'm really interested in yet okay you you dealt with the eagles and such now you Mm -hmm. saw these people yeah when they weren't on stage oh yeah i mean i mean hanging out yeah tell me about you know, like say the Eagles, something like that. Were they different human beings, or were they just the guy next they door? Were, they were just nice guys, nice people. You know, yeah. just uh, hey, come on in, Glenn. What you doing? You know, hey, hang out. You know, what, you can stay a while. You know, and I just hang out for a little while, and then I go back to work. I have to go back to work because yeah, sure. we had other business going on at the at the at our rehearsal studio. But uh, you know, it was uh, we had a good relationship with them and. They they liked calling us and we'd run over there at a moment's notice and they liked that so we were trying to earn our way at the time you know because we weren't really as profitable yet because we were also competing with we didn't realize we had competition from a uh, from a music store that was well known Ace Music mm-hmm. in Miami who did a lot of the same things we did except they didn't really do storage and they really didn't do cartage things like that we mm-hmm. did that as well. So one part of your business, you know, was was up against somebody else, but then the yeah. rest of it was yeah. you you did uh, repair as well. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I, I knew enough about electronics to be dangerous, but because uh, <laughs> uh, ultimately, I did come back to New Orleans and and go to electron went through electronics school. Yeah, because that was my passion at the time. But, now uh, I'm I'm just going to flat out ask you and uh-huh. lead you to it. When you and I talked <clears throat> first on the phone. Mm-hmm. You told me that you repaired Bob Marley's guitar, and not just any well, guitar, the Les Paul. Yeah, yeah, the old brown, oh, beat-up Les Paul. The one he's buried with. The one with uh, that was the, the strings were an inch and an inch off the neck, <laughs> and uh, I basically he wanted me to lower the strings and and put new strings on it and just adjust it and make sure it played right. And I did that for him. I didn't do anything major repair on it or anything. Well, I, I got to ask, there's yeah. there's a wonderful story about the guy who worked on Jimi Hendrix's guitar after Woodstock. Uh-huh. He snipped off the strings and threw them away because that's what you did. <laughs> and then put new strings on it. He said yeah. about five yeah. hours later, it occurred to him, those were the strings that played the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm an idiot. Did did you right. keep anything? No, from I, this? Uh, no? I, sh- I should have because it was, <laughs> I shot the shelf strings. You know, <laughs> is that really is that what he recorded on it? I, I have no idea, but I, 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 at the time it was you know a flurry of work. You know, we had built those studios ourselves. Yeah, we went down there, and and my cousin's father was in construction. So he said, you know, hey, Dad, come on down and supervise us. We're going to build these studios. So we built them from scratch. So we built these studios, and we're having bands come in, and it was just like, you know, for a while there, it was chaos. From like 1975 through 77, it was just chaos. All right. Well, jump it, jump it, jump it. I want to jam it with you. Tell me about building a studio. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't just build a box. No. What was the what was the thought process? Was it square? Was it oblong? What did you do to turn it into a space where music could well, be created? It, it was a warehouse, so we we basically set up, you know, framed it up, and it it you know it was a lot about uh, plywood and and well, it was uh, you know sheetrock and plywood up high, down sides, doors. You know, two inches, two feet thick, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they were quiet when you closed those doors. What made yeah. them quiet? I mean, did did all the the, the padding and the the padding and, and all the, that and the walls? Yeah. How thick yeah. were the walls with padding? I'd say they were probably at least a foot thick. And it yeah. was what what kind of padding are we talking we're about talking here? We're talking about carpet. We're talking about you you have plywood you have sheetrock and then plywood again mm-hmm. and then you'd have carpet and foam and things like that and then the final thing would be glued on carpet yeah so when sound hit it it died it was dead right? it was dead yeah. right there that yeah. had to sound weird walking well, the into floors a place like were that. still lively they were wood and floors yeah we kept the, the floors and the stage wood did you have a whole bunch of carpets if they wanted it and such to, to get mm. a different sound not not so much uh we did have we did, we had pieces that they could they could pull in there if they wanted to yeah. right yeah, so they, they mostly didn't record in there again this was ma- mainly for you know rehearsing for you know either going in the studio or going out on 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 tour so it was cheaper yeah. to come to your place record or not record right. but practice what you were going to record for a week or two Mm-hmm. And then shoot into Criteria Studios, right? Or they could bring in, you know, they could bring in a, a you know, four track or eight track themselves if they wanted to record right there. You know, they could do that too if they really wanted to. Anybody do that? Um, not, not really, because uh, we ended up <laughs> we ended up with a lot of disco bands, and uh, so what? They just did their little thing, and they went out and went to the clubs that they were yeah we had a lot of disco bands that came through there but we did have some name you know some big names that came through there like you know the the whalers practiced there the Shawn, tommy james and the shondells they practiced there elvin bishop came there mm-hmm. um who else um trying to remember all the people there's, there's so many yeah you got in. your piece of paper there uh you know little river band um, then Lizzie, they came in with their roller skates and roller skated around really? the place. 
you yeah. you you had Phil line it in your yeah in, yeah, yeah. They, and he was fact, on roller skates. Matter of fact, they even gave well his band. They, they that's what they <laughs> did. But they were like an exercise thing. They were they yeah. were. You know, they play pool, they'd skate around, and they gave me a bunch of Thin Lizzy patches. I don't know where those things are. They're somewhere in, the, in my house. It, it really uh, was that who gives a, I, I, not, yeah. who gives a care isn't the right thing. This was, these were just people. See, if, yeah. if, if I was yes. in a room with Phil yeah. Linett, he's obviously passed away, right. I mean, I'd be a babbling idiot. And to yeah. you, it was just, it's him. Well, to me, I was more interested in, uh, you know, like Bob Marley, man. That was like... That was a big. That was big news, you know. And yeah. Elvin Bishop, I really liked Elvin Bishop at the time. You know, fooled around and fell in love. That, matter of fact, they just had came out with that song when they were in our studio. So why, it was kind of nice. Why was Elvin Bishop there? Was he going to go into record? Or was he getting uh, ready to go out? They were just there for a quick uh, rehearsal, and they took off. They went on tour. And all they yeah. did was sort of perfect their stage show on yeah, your just, stage. Yeah, they just did a little quick a little quick thing in there. We need to take our first break here on the Rock School Radio Show, but we'll be back and talk to Glenn Bear about the world of the 1970s in Miami, right here on Rock School. go back to Bob Marley because this okay. was the reason I called you. I heard this story. <laughs> you you told your son, who I know, this mm-hmm. is how we met. Right. You told your son that when Bob Marley was in your studio, mm-hmm. you could have cut the smoke with a knife. You didn't even have <laughs> to smoke it. You were high at the end of the day. Well, if you stayed in that studio, which I would, I would always go in and out and not stay in there because. Sure. I mean, I can tell you some stories, but I don't know if this is the place to tell them. Well, where else? <laughs> oh, come on. Let's well, they, give me at least give me a good one. I'll tell you, these guys okay. they actually you rolled it up in the corn leaves and made a funnel with it and tied it with corn string. And packed that baby down, uh-huh. and they lit those suckers, and they smoked those things every time they went in there. <laughs> and and that was... air condition had to work overtime when they left. <laughs> Man, that's a. So it was that like, had to be a ton of smoke. It was a lot of smoke. I can tell you, you know, that was their that that was part of their religion. Yes, Rastafarian. Yeah, Rastafarian. Oh yeah, Rastafarian. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay, I guess yeah. beer is part of my religion there you too. Go. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> wow. But anyway, uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty intense in there. But uh, yeah, it, it was. It was. We'd all, we we always, you know, my cousin and I would always laugh about it because of, you know, we knew that when we had to go back in there after they left to clean up it was yeah. it was a mess <laughs> could you i mean could you i mean would you have to clean the whole place because no not really it, i mean it's just they left you know stuff around we just clean it and you know they they weren't really you know oh no i stuff meant, in ashtrays and things like i that, meant you know. from all the smoke when the next person came in wouldn't the whole place have smelled like smoke or was that part of its appeal <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think after the air condition got to work 24 hours on it, it was pretty much clean. Pretty much cleaned out? Yeah, pretty much okay. Wow. (laughs) 
had this funky looking group come in wanting us to to completely rent equipment for them to play in Tampa. Okay. And they were headlining for uh, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullets. It was a, a group called Patti Smith, oh. which was a punk rock, the, the early oh. stage of punk rockers. Oh, I mean, yeah. nobody, they didn't know who these people were. Right out of CBGB's. And so I went over, I took all their equipment over there with them. And I, matter of fact, I went, I had to go backstage with them. And it was kind of with the band and with Patti Smith at the time. And they, they, the reporters came in and she had her different colored tennis shoes on and different colored socks. And, yeah. you know, she was kind of wild with crazy hair. And nobody was like that at the time. Mm-hmm. And they were asking her all kinds of questions. And so we set up all her equipment, you know, mic'd it all up. And then she comes out to play and she's singing and, and she walks off the stage and falls about 15 <laughs> feet into the orchestra. Pit. Oh, this is at your studio? No, this is in Tampa. Oh, you at, watched at it. This, okay. uh, at this venue in Tampa where Bob Seger was <laughs> coming on next. Yeah. So they're telling us, get the st- stuff off the stage right away. So, man, we got this stuff off the stage, packed it all up. And, you know, we had backstage passes, so we just enjoyed the Bob Seger concert. I would, too. <laughs> and, yeah. And then took the stuff back to our studio in Miami. But uh, that was a kick. I mean, that was a real kick. And I got a ticket by was when I was over there. <laughs> how how hurt was she? Uh, it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but it was enough where they kept her in the hospital for a day. It's time for our second break, but Glenn is still here. We'll speak to him about what happened during the 1970s when he was moving equipment around and talking to some of the major groups of the time. Back in a minute here on Rock School. <laughs> just going to go back to what you said so a mm. band comes into miami yeah like patty smith and and yep. her band yeah they literally have no instruments they no had nothing they had hardly they had their personal instruments but they didn't have drums they didn't have uh you know uh clavichord uh, or their Rhodes piano or whatever you know they didn't have they didn't have the equipment that they really you know they, they bought they used our marshall in uh, in a few other you know pieces of equipment so we brought it all over there plus their equipment their personal equipment like their guitars and things like that so we're talking they they showed up with three or four guitars Mm -hmm. maybe a microphone stage clothing and that's it yeah yeah we we provided everything else and i set everything else up and mic'd it for them okay i i I gotta ask then (laughs) if if a pro group is coming Mm -hmm. down and they're getting stuff from you. You've already mentioned a Les Paul. Mm-hmm. You've already mentioned a Rhodes piano. You've already mm-hmm. mentioned a Leslie speaker. Mm-hmm. Your inventory had to be one of the most amazing things in a round because you have to have the instruments that these guys want. Right. And we didn't have a lot of instruments, but we did, you know, we had at least one or two of everything, just about. Really? Yeah. I mean, like. 50, 56, 57 less Pauls? Well, no, no, we didn't have no. that many. Okay. We, we only had a few of those. Oh, I meant the year. Oh, oh, the, the Les Pauls were probably, I'm trying to remember what that Les, the main Les Paul that we, that everybody really wanted to rent all the time was 
I think it was a uh, it was a '60s Les Paul. Yeah, it was a '60s with the PAF pickups in yeah. it. it. Had to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. Had it to was be. a '60s Les Paul. And uh, we had a B3 organ, which the, everybody loved the B3 organ. Really? And we had a Steinway Baby Grand, <laughs> which that's the one. The Eagles rented that. Uh, Elvis rented it. Uh, Dave Brubeck rented it. Come on know. back. Come on back. Come on back. You you worked Elvis. Yeah, but I didn't see him. Oh, you, know? you didn't? I dealt with people who said, bring the, bring the piano. You can stay backstage if you want. But, you know, and then Elvis was in and out. And when he finished, he, they... They, they, he hit the he, he hit the road. He was gone. Oh, that's Colonel Tom yeah. Parker always said that. No, yeah. no encores. No. Elvis has left we, the building. We did. We got we got to sit in the back and drink his champagne though. <laughs> <laughs> but did you see him on stage? I mean, yeah, yeah. He walked right past you. Went on stage. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You're killing this me, was Glenn. Ni- this was 1977 too. This was before he died. Well, this obviously, was probably within yeah. six months of his death. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Wow! Wow! Yeah. And who who else did you mention? You did Elvis and somebody else, and all I heard was Elvis. Dave Brubeck. Dave, really? Know, we rented a piano to him. Let me you ask know. you a question about Dave Brubeck. Uh-huh. I heard, and I have always thought this this story about Brubeck. And if you don't know who Dave Brubeck is, think Take Five. Um, I had always heard that he liked his piano retuned before he played it to something like A, regular A is 440. He wanted mm-hmm. everything tuned up to 442, 443, because mm-hmm. he banged the piano so hard it would tune out. Did that happen when you gave well, it to him? Well, what we, what we always did was we always sent the piano over and we always sent a piano tuner over with the piano. Sure, because we, actually, it would we go de- bad. Actually, we delivered the piano and set it up. Yeah. And then the piano tuner would come in and they would talk to the piano tuner, and then he would sit down there and tune the piano. And that, and he, and that piano tuner probably tuned that piano a hundred times because every time we rented it out, that sure. piano tuner went with that piano to tune it. Oh, I guarantee yeah. it. I mean, you move a baby grand, you're going to change the tension on all kinds of strings. I said, see, 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 right up. Oh, see what you have done. If only those millennial kids knew what you did in your 20s. I mean, do you yeah. do you advertise that you did this kind of stuff with rock bands or no? No, not really. It's Glenn's over there. He's no. just a guy that works in computers. Uh, hey, you got your piece yep. of paper right yeah. there. Any names that I haven't hit that you haven't hit? Let me see. I mean, we got some. We probably got a few things on here. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Leon Redbone. I got the really. I, I enjoyed. You know, we really didn't. I think we rented a piano at this Gusman Hall in uh, in Miami. Was it Miami, Hollandale? I can't remember exactly. Anyway, I just enjoyed being there because it was just a kick seeing him live. Yeah. And uh, let's see who else we talked about. Dave Brubeck. We talked about the Eagles. Talked about Joe Walsh. I had to fix his Leslie in the middle of the night. Uh, Little River Band. Crystal Gale. Crystal uh, Gale. I got a call that this act out of the bachelors three in fort lauderdale they needed someone to pick up all their equipment from the bachelors three 
mm-hmm. and take it to the airport. That's a club, the Bachelor's Three. Bachelor's Three. Joe Namath owned all the Bachelor's Threes. That was <laughs> one of them in Fort Lauderdale. Did you ever meet Joe Namath? No, but I've been to the Bachelor's Three, and I got to see uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Ray Charles live and and <laughs> up front on my birthday, right in front of the piano. I got to sit right in front of it. God, it gets better the more I yeah. dig. Okay, yeah. back to Crystal. Anyway, Gale. Crystal Gale. <laughs> Crystal Gale was not very big. Uh, she had not come out with that brown eyes blue right. yet. So they were looking for someone to pick up the equipment taken to the airport. But they also were looking to ride with me. They didn't want to take a cab or anything. They wanted to hitch a ride in my, my van. Well, they didn't feel safe, I guess, taking a car. I don't they didn't know. want to they do the charge. Didn't, I don't think they wanted to pay for it. Oh, okay. Truth. So so I picked them up and him, uh, her and her manager and they sat on some boxes in the back of my van, and we talked the whole way there, and they were just regular people just yakking away about their event that they had at the Bachelors Three, and, and took them to the airport, and uh, and then later on, I found out who she really was when when they came out with that song. I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. Got to meet her. She was really nice. Right before she exploded. Yeah, really nice lady. Really nice people. Uh, just regular people. Well, yeah. you know Crystal Gale today mm-hmm. rides in a limo and gets things done. <laughs> she sat on a box. She sat on a box in, in your the back van. of my van. Because we, we pulled the seats out of the van so we could have more, we could pick up more equipment. Well, yeah, sure. Because we had a big truck too, but we also had a van for smaller amounts of equipment. So. Don't know when. I've been so blue Don't know what's come over you Don't it make my brown eyes Don't it make my brown eyes Don't it make my brown eyes Well, I tell you, Glenn, I think I've about exhausted your... (laughs) It's about all I can remember. Yeah, I think I've exhausted <laughs> your memory. It's uh, it's too bad you uh, you weren't able to find those uh, sheets and lists and such. Uh, oh, that would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah if it that. if it uh-huh. shows up, uh, you know, if you can take a snapshot and send it to me, I would love sure, to. Sure. I would love to post that as we post the show. Yeah. So I can't tell you how happy I am. Number one that I, I found you, this jewel out in Hammond that no one would know about. And number two, that you were willing to come over to the studio and talk yeah, with there's me. there's no problem. That was I, wonderful. It, it was good to reminisce about it, you know. Oh yeah, it sounded like you enjoyed talking about it. It was a lot of fun. Oh, I'll bet. Thank yeah. you so much for coming. Okay.